are you ready to fight? Really? I mean, are you ready to fight? Because, I mean, let's be a little bit honest. Just a little bit honest. You don't have to raise your hand. We're in church. It's okay. But you nod your head a little bit. There's somebody you want to knock out in there. There's just one person. There's one, there's one issue. There's one thing you just want to kind of knock it right out, right? It seems like there is so much angst these days, so much road rage just driving from here to pack and save these days that um, you just want to knock it out. There's a growing frustration. There's a, there's a growing angst and anger, and you just want to deck somebody. Well, this is the right Sunday to be here because today you get permission to do that, sort of. So whether we're gathering here, we're gathering in home groups at home, this little one-hit wonder book of Jude is a fight club book. It's a manual on how to be a fight club. So if you want to turn to the book of Jude, go all the way to the back of your Bibles to the book of Revelation, then pick the book right in front of it. It's just one little page called Jude. Go to your flat screen, so you're going to follow along as we go through this and do a little bit of a running commentary on this one-page book that can seem pretty insignificant, but it packs a punch, literally packs a punch. It's going to teach us how to fight, and it's going to teach us how to fight well. So if you're getting a little excited, like, yes, finally we can take it out, spoiler alert, you're going to be really disappointed by the end of this book, because the fight's not quite the fight that you think it's going to be. It's about how to fight. It's not about who to fight. And you're thinking, don't tell me who to fight. I know who I want to knock out. Just tell me how to do it. Well, you're going to be disappointed, because this one little one-page letter kind of has great urgency on why the church needs to fight, but how we do that might surprise you a little bit. So let's dive right in. Book of Jude, starting at the first two verses. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Now, this is not a normal kind of opening to a letter in a book of the Bible. Normally, it's I, Paul, you know, grace, peace, be mercy, uh, be to you, and they dive right into the content. Jude kind of fleshes this out a little bit more. Now, English translators many, many centuries ago have called this book the book of Jude. However, the author's name is actually Judas. Judas. And the reason they used the word Judas is because, well, Judas, you know, I mean, kind of negative connotation there, right, in the Christian world. A lot of people name their kids after biblical names. There's John and Mark and Sarah and Luke. Not a lot of little Judases running around the playground these days. Um, so who is this Judas? Well, he writes, I'm a servant of Jesus and I'm a brother of James. Again, lots of James in the first century. One of the most common Hebrew names back in the first century. Uh, there are at least six different Judases in the Bible, but there's only one Judas who is the brother of a James. And there's only one James in the early church that you didn't have to mention who their father was or who their grandfather was in the writing of a letter, which was customary back in those days when you wrote a letter referring to someone. He's the half-brother, James, the half-brother of Jesus, leader of the church in Jerusalem, one of the top three leaders of the early church along with Peter and Paul. And so that makes Jude also a half-brother of Jesus. But he doesn't say that. 
He doesn't refer to himself this way. Instead, he calls himself a servant of Jesus, a slave to Jesus. Now, can you imagine growing up with Jesus being your big brother? I mean, you could name drop that really well in certain circles, couldn't you? Uh, Sir, thank you. Uh, That'll be uh, $85 for that bottle of wine. What? 85 bucks for a bottle of wine. I'll just get get my brother to turn some water into wine because, you know, Yes, my brother's name's Jesus. Yeah, the, that one, the Messiah. Yeah, you know what I mean. But no, see, he doesn't play that game. The blood spilt on the cross by Jesus is far more important, far more powerful for Jude than the family blood that's running through his veins. He says, I am a servant of Jesus. It's the greatest title I can use. So we know who wrote it half-brother of Jesus. And we know how he sees himself in relation to Jesus Christ. He's a servant. He's a slave to Jesus. But who's he writing to? He's writing to all of us. He's writing to everyone. Everyone who's been called, it says. Everyone who's been loved by God. Everyone kept for Jesus. All of us who have been called by God to be sons and daughters of the Most High, who have answered that call, who understand, have accepted the love of God, that grace, that mercy of God that's in our life. And all of us that are kept, kept meaning sanctified, that big churchy word that just means set apart, set apart for Christ Jesus in Christ Jesus. And for those people, there's a hope. A hope promise for us that we will get from reading this letter, from living into this letter from Jude, that mercy, peace, and love, that we would get that in abundance, he writes. Good news, right? Abundance. Good news for me. Good news for my family, for my workplace, for my friends and my life at school, whether I'm single or married. Mercy, peace, and love in abundance because so much in our world today seems so anti-merciful anti-love, anti-peace. When's the last time you laid in bed another day and you just kind of felt this overwhelming abundance of calm and peace, a contentment, abundance of love, a love for you, a mercy, a mercy overwhelmed by realizing what you've been given and how you didn't deserve it and that you couldn't hope for anything this grand as the life that Jesus has given you. Well, in this one-page book, that is ironically about how to fight, you're going to find hope. We find love. We find mercy. We find peace. So let's keep reading. How does he do this? Verse 3. Dear friends, although I was eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once and for all entrusted to God's holy people. He says, Jude. Half-brother Jesus, little brother James, the other half-brother of Jesus, leader of that New Testament church, I want to write to you a book about salvation, the salvation that we share. I want to write to you about the thing that we all have in common between all of us, that the Son of God came to earth. He lived a perfect life. He showed us how to live for our Father in heaven. He died to make it possible. He shed his blood to pay for our debts and our sins and our imperfections. He rose again to make it possible to be a family of God in God's kingdom. He paid the price for us to do this. This is the salvation common to all. 
This is the good news of salvation. This is what I want to write about, how it covers everybody. It covers the old and the young. It covers the rich and the poor. It covers those with white skin and dark skin and blue skin and gray skin and purple skin. It covers everything, all ethnicities, all backgrounds, all family of origins. It covers any sin, all sin, any sin you have committed, any sin you're going to commit, This salvation is for all. This is what I want to write to you about, but I can't. Instead, I need you to contend for the faith. I want you to wrestle and fight for the faith. See, this word contend, it came from the phrase they used about wrestling in the Roman Roman, uh, competitions. It means to struggle with, to exert physical power over, to agonize over, to battle over, to grapple with, to fight for the faith. Now again, he's saying not fight for your faith. He's saying fight for the faith. He goes, this is what I got to do. I want this book to be about the salvation, but I need you to wrestle and fight for this bigger faith that we're all a part of. It's a faith that all Christians, all Jesus followers share in common. It's a common salvation. See, Spurgeon writes about this in a commentary. He says, upon other matters, there are distinctions among believers, but yet there is a common salvation enjoyed by by the Armenian as well as the Calvinist, possessed by the Presbyterian as well as the Episcopalian, prized by the Quaker as well as the Baptist. Those who are in Christ are far more near of kin than they know of. And their intense unity and deep essential truth is a greater force than most of them can imagine. But give it time, he goes on to write. Give it time and scope, and that will work wonders. See, Jude's about to address a crisis that's happening in the church in this part of the middle of of the Mideast in the the first century. And he's saying, I need you to fight for our faith. See, the half-brother of Jesus is telling us something that is even more urgent than salvation, something that is more important at this point than salvation. See, Jude himself said, I want to write to you about salvation, the common salvation that we all share. However, being led by the Spirit, there is an urgency that is more important right now. I'm a servant, bond as a slave to Jesus. But now there's something that has happened in the church that is more urgent than even salvation. And for us to deal with it, he says, we're going to need mercy. And we're going to need peace. And we're going to need love. If we want to really fight for the faith, there's something so urgent because it is splitting the church. It is destroying the church. And here's my hope that you have that in abundance. Mercy, love, and peace because you're going to need it. Now, you ready for why? This is it. This is why. Verse 4. Because certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. There's a group of individuals, but don't worry about them, he says. Don't worry about them. Their end is already written. Their condemnation is already taken care of, but there's a problem. They've secretly slipped in amongst you. They're part of the church. There's a saying that says, 
One devil inside the church can cause more damage than 10,000 devils outside the church. And that's what he's talking about here. It's this problem that was secretly slipping into Christianity inside their church. And this was the first problem he addressed. Some people saw their freedom in Christ as a freedom to sin. Certain individuals had perverted the grace of God into a license for immorality. Because I have forgiveness, because I have grace, eh, I can do this. Because I have forgiveness and grace, this isn't really that bad. You know, because I have forgiveness and grace, don't you dare judge me about the choices I'm making, about my sin, because I'm forgiven. Because I have forgiveness and grace, God, he understands what I'm going through. He knows why I need this right now. Because I'm going to heaven, it's okay if I live like hell right now. See, here at Central, we will always talk about grace. We will always talk about God's love for you and God's forgiveness for you and God's love and mercy and forgiveness for all people because that's all true. But what comes with that truth kind of lends itself to having people slip in the church as well. That because I don't have to worry about sin anymore, it's all right if we live together even though we're not married yet. It's, it's okay if I sleep with the person I'm dating. We love each other, and God is love. I'm, it's okay if I follow my own sexual desires outside of marriage, if I go after my own interpretation and definition of, of attraction to whatever sex I want. I can still watch as much porn online as I want. I can have an extra relationship outside of my marriage. It's not hurting anybody. I can have fill in the blank, fill in the blank. Fill in the blank. Because God loves me and he understands. See, Jude is saying to this church that what has come into the church, the grace and mercy and love of God has become a license to do what you want, to do whatever you want. I'm covered by grace. I'm loved by God. God loves me. I'm a child of God. God died on the cross for me. These things aren't that bad, really, in the big picture of things. You see, when you choose to live a lifestyle that's different from what Jesus has laid out, you're denying Jesus being the leader and Lord of your life. See, our holy, sovereign Lord and Savior, we're, den we're denying his teachings. We're denying his place in our life. Now, I know I'm stepping on toes with that list. I, I know. Um, there are people who date and live together and sleep together and, and, and they love Jesus. And I know I'm stepping on people's toes. It's really difficult to talk about this subject these days, especially in a time where it can be seen as hate speech. But it's not. It's the opposite of that. It's, it's a love speech and saying, be who God created you to be. See, we either got to get rid of what the Bible says or we got to follow what the Bible says. And there are pages in the Bible that I just want to rip out and get rid of. It's like, that's too hard. I get that. I understand how hard it is. But the moment I do that, I create a new faith called Brianism. And I believe in God and I believe in Jesus and I know he loves me. But there's a voice in my head that kind of tells me what's right and wrong. And that voice is Brianism. And it comes from having a sense of, look, God loves me and he forgave me and he's given me grace and he understands. So he understands that I'm going to do whatever I got to do to feel better right now. He understands. He loves me. 
And, and it acts out more in more areas than just sexual. Sexuality is just the area that Jude's talking about. But this happens in addressing issues like gossip and judgment and racism and sexism and retaliation and getting revenge. Lots of different areas. And this is where Jude says that I have more urgency to talk to you about this than I do about salvation that we all share. This is what we got to fight for. This is what I want you to contend against. This is what I want to, you to allow you to see what has slipped into the church covertly, into the mindset of our Christianity. We've got to fight against this. And then he reminds them, Jude reminds them over the next couple of verses of six different Old Testament stories, their history, reminds them of what God did in the past with people who said, look, I know God, I love God, but I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to live life the way I want. I'm going to do relationships the way I want. Sexuality and marriage and treating other people the way I want. And he kind of goes through a list of people and he talks about um, Moses taking the Egyptians and, and saving them from Egypt and then them throwing an orgy as a way to celebrate that. He talks about angels who came down to serve God and then Genesis 6 and angel sex. That's a chapter I'll never preach on. And, and about how angels hooked up with the ladies and he talks about them and how they've been confined until the last day. He talks about Sodom and Gomorrah. He goes through story after story. He goes, let me tell you why I'm writing with this urgency. It has snuck into your church and you don't think it's a big deal. So then he gives them old Testament example after example after example. And he goes, look, God doesn't play games with this stuff. And then verse eight, he picks up in the very same <clears throat> In the very same way, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and heap abuse on celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, the Lord rebuke you, because it's not my job. Yet these people slander whatever they do not understand. The very things they do not, sorry, the very things they do understand by instinct, as irrational animals do, will destroy them. It just saying, says, here's the thing. Here's a picture of what these people do. And, and, and I'm giving it to you for two reasons. One is so you can identify it when you see it and go, yeah, that's, that's just not right. There's something about this that's not right. But more importantly, number two, you flip that window around and it becomes a mirror. And you look at yourself and you say, how am I doing in this area? Am I polluting my own body and doing whatever I want as well? Do I listen to the little voice in my head that tells me it's okay to say this, to slander that, to do this? And Judah's pleading with the church. He says, look, I'm watching what's happening with the followers in the church in this, in this area of the world. And I'm trying to warn you, warning after warning. I see where this road is heading. He says, you know the stories. You know the history. You know our culture. Stop playing around with this. This is Jude pleading. He's pleading with these Christians. He goes, I know where you're heading. You've got to stop listening to your own conscience and get back to listening to God. You are God. You're denying the authority of Jesus in your life, the sovereign Lord of this life. You claim you have grace. You claim you have forgiveness, but it's just a license for you to sin and do whatever you want and say whatever you want. This is a pastor pleading with his people. Stop it. Stop treating each other like this. Stop treating others like this. Stop treating yourselves like this. 
Our faith isn't something to be used as a license for sin. So we got to fight for it. We got to contend and wrestle with this. And I don't want you to walk around, he says, I don't want you to walk around the church like you got it all together and do a lot of good things and serve and help and volunteer and be really useful, but inside you're dead. That's not the point of church life. And Jude, in this little book, throws a punch after punch after punch as a wake up call. And says, so you got to fight for what we're about. Jesus, you got to fight for our faith. And then he turns it. Verse 14, he turns the corner. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all of them of the ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against them. These people are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. He goes, let me tell you what has secretly snuck into your church. A bunch of whiners, a bunch of grumblers, a bunch of fault finders. There's always something wrong. People that are pursuing their own evil desires. And they boast about themselves. They boast about how things used to be. And they're friendly to certain people if it gets them what they want. He picks up at verse 17. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own godly desires. These are people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. He says, in the last times, the last days. And when he says the last days, he's not talking about the apocalypse and book of Revelation. He's talking about now. The last days are now where Christ has gone to heaven. He's yet to return. He sent his Holy Spirit to guide and dwell in us. That during that time, there'll be scoffers who will follow their own godly, ungodly desires. He says there are people who will divide you. Pay attention to that word. <coughs> Excuse me. There are people that will divide you. They follow their mere natural instincts because they don't have a spirit. What he's saying is, don't be surprised when people complain in church. Don't be surprised when grumbling happens and finger pointing happens and fault finding happens and division happens as a result. We're told that even back in the early, early church, in that area where Jesus had just left and they were just becoming a community, even those early churches were full of grumblers and fault finders and complainers and division was happening because they were following their own natural instincts and not following the lead of the Holy Spirit. See, in any season, when we follow our own natural instincts, we're gonna wanna knock someone out. We're gonna wanna take somebody out. It just happens, it's natural. But when we're following the Spirit, we fight differently. It's supernatural. See, there's a second problem here that Jude's addressing. He says, um, when we don't defend the faith, we bring division. Not defending the faith brings divisions. See, the first problem is a simple one. People see their freedom in Jesus as a license to do whatever they want. Take him out to a coffee and talk to him about it. Simple, easy. The second one, this is harder. 
this is really much more difficult to deal with. <coughs> and let me tell you what this is about. It leads to grumbling. It leads to fault finding. And people start getting led by their natural instincts. They're no longer led by the Holy Spirit. They're no longer doing what's right in a certain situation. And as a result, they divide the church. Verse 19, it's all about them dividing the church. Not fighting for a shared faith. Not contending for a shared faith. That God loves all of us. That God forgives all of us. That the Holy Spirit leads all of us to love one another, to love the stranger. When we don't fight for that, we divide ourselves. We get ugly in-house. Now, this is where you can get really disappointed in this book. It then tells us how to fight. Now, if we're going to fight for Christianity, we got to look at it. If we're going to fight for what's right, if we're going to fight for our freedoms, fight for the faith, fight for what is right and what is righteous and what is biblical and have people stop sinning. And if we're going to fight and all the judges stops and all the divisions in the church stop starts, if that's what you want, this is what we have to do. If you want no more fighting, no more complaining, no more grumbling, no more people leaving or getting kicked out or feeling unwelcomed and people pointing fingers at each other, that's what you want. This is how Judas takes it home. Are you ready for this? Verse 20, here's how you fight. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourself in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. How do you fight for what's right in the light of Jesus and scripture? Number one, you get rid of divisions. That's what Jude's writing here. He's, I'm writing to you to talk about the salvation that is given for all, the faith that is given for all. You're all the same, he says. You're all the same. And, and, and I want to talk about that, but I got to put that on the shelf. There's an urgency that I want you to contend with. Uh, I want you to wrestle with and grapple with and give energy to. That I want you to work it out like a boxer in boxing, fighting for his faith that we all share. This is what I want you to do so that it stops creating divisions amongst you. Because we can't be divided as a family, he says. We, we can't have divisions between people. We can't have division between things that are essentially we all hold to be true. That Jesus Christ is the Messiah and the Lord and Savior of all. We can't be divided around that. So this is what we're going to do. Number two, we're going to grow in our faith. We're going to grow in faith. We're going to grow in our faith. But dear friends, he says, building yourselves up in your most holy faith. How do we grow in our faith? Church 101. You pick up the Bible, you read it. You pray. You go to life groups and discuss it. You spend time with each other and pull out the best and encourage one another and equip one another to live like Jesus in all circumstances. It's called discipleship. It's called life together. Um, our, our own personal relationships are not just personal. They're public. We do it together. It's a faith that's common for all of us. So then next, if we're going to do that, no divisions and grow in our faith, then what do we do next to fight? He says, now we pray. And we pray in the Holy Spirit. We pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. And you go, oh, I'm praying. You better believe, Brian, I'm praying. I am praying against so many things in our church. I'm praying against that, and I'm praying against this, and I'm praying against them, and I'm going to pray all this nonsense out of here. Maybe we need to shift our prayers a little bit. 
Maybe we need to pray for things like mercy and peace and love to be abundant in our own lives and then to be abundant in the lives of each other. Maybe we need to pray for exactly what Jude writes about when he says to God, I pray that you will grow in your faith. Help me grow as a Jesus follower. And then God, I'm gonna pray for love and I'm gonna pray for mercy and I'm gonna pray for peace to be abundant in my life because those are the weapons we fight with. Verse 21, keep yourselves, in, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you eternal life. How do we do this next? How do you fight? You walk in God's love. You keep yourself in God's love. How do you do that? How do you walk in obedience? Why do we walk in obedience to what Jesus says? Because walking in obedience is when I walk in God's love. It's the same thing. The more I'm in the word, the more I'm praying, the more I'm with life group and talking to people about life and what it means to trust Jesus in the midst of whatever, the more I understand how much God loves me, the more that changes me from the inside out. My heart, my thick head, the way I think changes the things that come out of my mouth and out of my fingers when I type. And, and all of a sudden I become a person of faith and a person of the word and a person of prayer. And then I get the next weapon to fight with. We walk in God's love and then we await in mercy. See, Jesus Christ brings eternal life to all of us. And we wait for that. We keep that salvation in mind. We play the long game. We keep eternity in mind. We recognize that right now is a drop in the bucket. What happened last month that got everybody upset is nothing compared to the long game of what God is doing. I'm keeping my eye on the prize and I'm gonna continue to be transformed, to be like Jesus, to deal with whatever comes my way. I keep the big picture in mind. Jew says, I write with urgency to you. Look at these weapons. They're all internal. One through... One through uh, five, they're all eternal. Get rid of division, grow in your faith. It's all internal changes in you. As I grow spiritually, I pray, I love, I grow in my walk with God. And then he brings it home in verse 22, 23. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Here's how Jude takes it home. Now that I've done all this internal work and I'm letting God transform me from the inside out, now I give mercy. If I look inward, I gotta take care of our spiritual faith. That's what we have in common, faith of salvation. And once I become a person who walks in God's love, walks in God's peace, walks in God's mercy, and I understand mercy, now I can look outward. And now I realize I've been blessed to be a blessing to others. I've been called to call others. I've been rescued to rescue others. How can I be merciful to someone if I'm not learning to live in mercy first? And when I do live in mercy, how can I not pass that mercy on to others? So who's to say I'm merciful to? Well, to people who are in doubt. How can I be merciful to those in doubt? Okay, I'm supposed to be merciful for those that are wondering about their their life in Jesus, not sure about how to live, not sure if Jesus is real, not sure if the things that Christ has asked of me is really how I'm supposed to live. What do I do with them? I'm merciful to them. I walk alongside them. Easy. That makes sense. Then it says snatched by the fire. Well, who are those people that are being snatched by the fire? Well, those are the lost. So if you want to get out of divisions, you want to get out of your own immorality and judgmentalism and bad lifestyle, 
what you do is you be a person who walks in the grace, love, mercy of God. And what happens is he uses you to rescue others. Now, those who don't know Jesus can come to know Jesus like that. I'm good with that too. So first two makes a lot of sense to me. Those who are doubting and wondering, be merciful, be patient, walk alongside them, help them know God. Those who don't know God yet, be merciful, be patient, walk alongside them, help them know God. But then Jude goes, there's a harder one yet. And this one should put a little fear in you, he says hating even the clothing stained by corrupt flesh. He says, you're going to give mercy to those who doubt. You can give mercy to those who are lost, but you're also going to give mercy to the people you hate. You're going to give mercy to the people who are in rebellion because you're going to realize you actually don't hate them. You hate what they're doing. See, we hate the enemy. We never hate people. People are never our enemy. They can't be. They won't be because they're us. They're just like us. But to be a person who's going to show mercy because you have an abundance of mercy, you have an abundance of love, what's going to happen is that abundance of love and peace and mercy is just going to kind of overflow into the person who's causing all the division and that's going to change and they're going to change. See, you can hear their side their antics, their ridiculous statements, their judgmental statements, their, their, their bits of truth and their false ideas, and you can just kind of smile. And you go, you know what? I'm going to show mercy here because this is sneaking in the church, but this is not what I'm fighting for. So I'm going to be like Jesus in this moment to that person. And then he closes. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to be present and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. He's reminding them who's in their corner. Remember who's in your corner. You got God, the all-powerful, cosmic, all-loving, all-present, who went to extreme lengths to show you love and rescuing through his son, Jesus Christ. He's in your corner. Let him do what he does. You do what you do. And you reminds them, we Christians have got to focus on rescuing and let God focus on the revenging. See, a drowning person makes a lousy lifeguard. Lousy lifeguard. If I'm not living in God's love, it's impossible for me to show love to others. If I'm not living in God's mercy, it's impossible for me to show mercy to others. If I'm not a person of peace, it's impossible for me to be a peacemaker. So here's how you fight. Number one, you look at those first five things and you do an internal check. And, and you ground yourself in your faith. You fight for the faith of being a person who lives in the Holy Spirit, prays in the Holy Spirit, pen, spends time with God, doesn't create divisions, waits on the eternal picture of mercy and eternal life, keeps a big picture in mind. And then this world of ours that seems to be so full of unlove, unkindness, un injustice, now you can actually reach out and grab somebody and rescue them from that. Now you can enter into conversations with people you hate and disagree with because you realize, I actually don't hate them. I hate the myth. I hate the lies. I hate the enemy. I hate the clothing that comes wrapped around them. But the people never be my enemy because I was them. We're the same. God died through his son Jesus for all of us. We do the rescuing. God brings the justice. Let's pray. 
Father God, thank you for this little book of the Bible that reminds us that the fight is not outside us, it's in us. God, may we really be people who have a love and a peace and a mercy in abundance so that we can rescue others. Help us to walk in this world of ours, walk in our church in a way that is not caught up in conflict and turbulence and fights, but instead walks and brings truth and brings peace and brings mercy and brings love because we are inundated by it because we spend time with you. And we accept the gift of what you've given us in abundance. And we become more like your son every day. And we listen to the leading of your spirit and not my internal leading. And I fight differently. And I fight in a way that points to you and brings healing. It brings rescue and not revenge. In Jesus' name, amen.